The following message is from Westway Christian Church in Scottsbluff, Nebraska. If you'd like to know more about us, go to westwaychurch.com. Thank you for listening. Well, good morning. wonder if you are sick of hearing Hail to the Chief yet. Um, my name is John, and I'm one of the pastors here at Westway Christian Church, and I'm glad you're here with us today. We're going to be looking at three different texts. We're going to be looking at Amos uh, chapter 5, verse 13. We're going to be looking at Mark chapter 6, 1 through 6. And then we're going to be looking at uh, 1 Timothy 2, 1 to 4. If you're using your Bible app, um, you, if you open up the event for today, you'll see all of those verses laid out for you. If not, you can follow along in your Bible. I'll try to give you a little bit of time and let you know when we're going to be talking about the next, um, about the next text. And whether you're using your Bible app or a paper Bible, I want to encourage you to follow along. Last week in the text, we read that Paul called God's word the sword of the spirit. And here's what that means. The Bible is a powerful weapon. And one of the things that we as Christians want to do, one of the things that we're called to do as Christians is learn how to wield it, to learn how to use it. And like any other tool that we might use, learning how to use it only comes through familiarity. So I want to encourage you uh, to follow along in God's word when we, when we read the scripture. When I was growing up in Peachtree City, Georgia, I was heavily involved in youth sports. I played Mighty Might football one year. I think I weighed 50 pounds when I was eight years old. Um, I have a few memories of Mighty Might football. One of them was getting fitted for my uniform and my mouth guard. And the other memory that I have of Mighty Might football was a coach by the name of Coach Shetler. And all I remember about him is he screamed and cursed at us all the time. Like that, that was my memory of Coach uh, Shetler. Um, for several years, I played t-ball then I played soccer when I was in middle school and was in high school. I ran track, I ran the mile and the two mile. And no matter what sport I played, there was one thing that was constantly drilled into us as students, as children. And it was how to be a good sport. Whether we won or whether we lost, we had to be a good sport. We had to win graciously and we had to lose graciously. And none of our coaches used the phrase, the phrases sympathy or empathy at the time, but that's what, that's what they were teaching us. They were teaching us how to take into account the thoughts and feelings of the other team, how to take into account the thoughts of the people that lost when we won or the people that won when we lost. And I'm sure that you know exactly where we're going to go today as I talk about that. I know that some of you are pretty excited about the results of Tuesday's election. And I know that some of you are probably pretty disappointed about the results of Tuesday's election. And maybe there's a few of you that don't care about the results. And here's the thing, as Christians and as a church, our job, our role is to live out our faith. Our role is to consistently live out our faith to show that the Christ that we love, the Christ that we know is far more important to proclaim than any political win or loss. 
few weeks ago, I shared to you uh, 2 Corinthians 5.20, and I want to read it again. It says this. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back for God. Come back to God. Now, I may have accidentally used the word our primary message a few weeks ago. And if I said that, I want to apologize because that indicates that there's another message that we proclaim. And there's not. As Christians, we have one message. Come back to God. And this was yet another close election for us. And my prayer is that, is that we as a church body can see the gospel displayed, that people who are different than us would see the gospel displayed through us as we love people who voted differently than we did. And this might mean some difficult conversations. This might mean you have to actually have a conversation with someone who voted differently than you to try and understand why they picked who they picked. And part of loving them means listening to them and believing the best about them. That's the Bible. Consider others better than yourself. That is the Bible. Even when we win or we lose, how do we consider others better than ourselves? I'm sure that some people within our church body would rather we had a more Republican church. Other people probably think that we ought to have a more democratic church, but I think we will honor God the most if we have a Jesus-centered church. If we don't get our mind wrapped around political parties or political philosophies or affiliations, but rather we just don't identify with any party as a church and we identify with Jesus. There are people in our community who, who are not Christians and our job is to proclaim the gospel to them and to not, to not get caught up and to not have another message that gets in the way of come back to God. Our culture is hard right now. It's hardened, it's coarsened. And I know you don't need me to tell you that, but it's in my notes. See, we wanna encourage conversion of people who aren't Christians. Not conversion to a political philosophy, but conversion to the philosophy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We wanna pray for our nation. We wanna pray for our president. We wanna see justice. And here's a reality and we talked about this over the past six weeks now, regardless of who becomes our next president, the fall of mankind is not going to be reversed. We need to know that. We need to understand that regardless of who becomes president, whether it's our candidate or their candidate, the fall of mankind is not going to be reversed. The fall of mankind is not going to be unlegislated. The fall of mankind is not going to be reversed in a Supreme Court decision. But thank God he did something about it. God sent his son, Jesus, to save us. He did this because he loved us, because he knew how far away from him we were. And he knows that our only pathway back to him is through his son, Jesus. And because of what God has done for us, then we do this for other people. 
We share the good news with them. We love for them and we care for them. And that requires us developing the skills of sympathy and empathy towards people. Whether they vote the same as us or whether they vote differently than us or if they're from a different political persuasion, our role is to demonstrate sympathy and empathy. And that's not normal for us. It's not normal for us to have sympathy and empathy. I know I've been on Facebook the last three days. It's not common. And as much as I'm disturbed and maybe you're disturbed by the gloating that we see, frankly, I am equally disturbed by the sad faces and the long faces that I see. And that's why six weeks ago, we began this series by talking about needing God's wisdom. That's why that was the very first thing. Because we have to understand what God wants for us. And wisdom only comes from God. And if we don't have it, we're going to make all sorts of wrong decisions. Our entire lives are going to be marked by one bad decision after another bad decision. And we've probably seen that in the lives of other people. And I sure hope we've seen it in the lives of ourselves. We talked about the role of the church and the state. I said that biblically, those they are separate but un, and unequal. The state cannot change the hearts of man, which is why they have 50 million laws. Because what the state can do is it tries to restrict and constrict our sinful ways. And all the state knows how to do is have more laws. That's why we see more and more laws. But as salt and light, our role is to point people to Jesus Christ. That's what the church does. We point people to Jesus. We talked about Romans 13. And when Paul said that the Christians in Rome should submit to all governing authorities, there was no asterisk. Paul was not saying, unless they are Romans, don't submit. Paul was not saying, unless they're from an opposing political party, no whatabouts. He's saying, submit to the governing authorities. And this is because God's kingdom is made up of all nations, tribes, and tongues. It's made up of everyone, Republicans and Democrats alike, independents and all sorts of people. God's kingdom is made up. And maybe we don't want to believe that. Maybe we, we have that question and that thought. Well, how could, how could you be a Christian and vote X? Well, I want to tell you that that comes from both sides of the political aisle. If you are a conservative and you're asking that question about political liberals, liberals are asking the exact same thing about you. And what we want to do is we want to recognize as brothers and sisters in Christ, we have a more important message. And unless we recognize that our enemy's not the person who colored in the oval for the other guy on Tuesday, we'll always be fighting the wrong enemy. Always. And when we fight one another, our capacity for evil knows no bounds. Came across this quote from a letter that a, a woman named Eleanor Gusenbauer wrote in 1938. She lived in a house in a, on a high point overlooking the Mauthausen concentration camp in Austria. She wrote this letter to the SS leader in 1938. In part, it says this, listen, I request that it be arranged that such inhuman deeds be discontinued or else be done where one does not have to see it. 
Did you hear that? I request that it be arranged that such inhuman deeds be discontinued. She should have stopped there. But instead, she continued, or else be done where one does not have to see it. See, when we don't have sympathy and empathy for other people, our inhumanity knows no bounds. So what comes next? What's our path forward? What do we do as Christians? How do we engage our society? I think there's three parts, three things that we can do. One of them is developing sympathy and empathy for other people. And another is prayer. And I know that's only two. Even though I went to Bible college, I can do basic math. But we won't be able to demonstrate sympathy and empathy for other people until we look inward, until we understand who we are, until we understand who God sees us to be. See, Eleanor Gusenbauer was so concerned about her view that she could not bother to be worried about the 120,000 to 300,000 people that will be murdered there. In order to have sympathy and empathy, you have to get outside of yourself. You have to look inward. And it's really easy for us to rage against the sins of other people. I think we know that. I think we see that. We experience that all the time, but it's not what God has for us. I love the minor prophets in the Bible. If you've never read the minor prophets, I highly recommend you do so. It's at the tail end of the Old Testament. And today we're going to talk a little bit about the book of Amos. And in the book of Amos, he, he begins um, by talking about all of the evil nations that are around Israel and Judah. And he starts off probably how we would. God is giving all of these curses about the, the peoples of Damascus and, and Gaza. He's talking about how evil is reigning in their lands and God is about the hand. Um, God's about to deal with them. And you have this idea as you're reading through the text, it's very easy to say, yeah, I'm so glad that God is going to judge those other nations. I'm so glad he's finally going to bring judgment on those other people. But then in chapter four, God switches the play and he says, well, actually, Israel and Judah, I'm going to judge you too. So it's not just about the sins of other nations that God is going to judge, but is God's people are to be judged. Why? Chapters four and five, I just have a short list of all of the things that God is angry and upset with his people about. They oppressed the poor and they crushed the needy. That's why God was going to judge his people. They worshiped false gods, but they bragged about their religious devotion. They oppressed people through bribes. They deprived the poor of justice. They hated those who told the truth. They twisted justice and they treated the righteous like dirt. And then in Amos chapter five, verse 13, I'm actually gonna read through 15. God says this, or Amos says this. After telling them all of the things that they have done wrong. So those who are smart should keep their mouths shut for it is an evil time. Do what's good and run from evil so that you may live. Then the Lord God of heaven's armies will be your helper, just as you have claimed. Hate evil and love what is good. Turn your courts into halls of justice. Perhaps even yet the Lord God of heaven's armies will have mercy on the remnant of his people. 
So this is what God is telling his people. He's saying, if you're smart, you know what? You'll be quiet. You won't talk so much about the, all of the sins of all of these other people. And what you'll do is you will hate evil yourself. You will look inward. You will be self-reflective and understand your own capacity for evil. You will turn your courts into courts of justice. I think it's really easy for us to be shocked by the sin and the brokenness around us. We all feel that. We all feel that. We want to be part of fixing it. We want to be part of the solution. And here's the thing. It's not going to be legislated. It helps to have good laws. It helps to have a just nation. But remember that Nations can only constrain evil. They can't eliminate it. They can't fix what's really going on inside of the human heart. So we have to do is we have to own our own sinfulness. We have to own where we are broken. We have to own where we are unjust. We have to ask God to reveal that to us. And then we have to repent of that sin. We have to repent of the sins that we have personally and then corporately. Because if we're not living out faithful lives to God as individuals, we will never do that corporately. We'll never do that as a group of believers. How could we possibly hope to? And we can lament and we ought to about our national tragedies of injustice and oppression and false worship and people embracing falsehood, we can complain, we can look outward all we want to as Christians. But until we look inwardly, and I know I just said this, and I'm going to say it in a different way, because I want us to understand, I want you to understand that your biggest problem in the world is your own sinfulness. That's my biggest problem is my own sinfulness, my own desire to be disobedient to God. And until I repent of that, until I admit that and confess that before God, in some ways I should follow Amos and I should just keep my mouth shut. Shouldn't point out all of the sins of others when I'm living in this same way. Because until I have an accurate understanding of who I am, in Ephesians chapter two, Paul writes that we were dead because of our disobedience and our many sins. See, this is the gospel. We're dead in our disobedience and because of our sins. And God has come along. He sent Jesus to make us alive. He sent Jesus to make us new. So as I interact with other people, I have to remember that I was once dead. I was once like people who weren't, who are not Christians. That, that's my story. And it's only when I do that, that, that I can begin to develop sympathy and empathy for other people. Recognizing my own bent towards sin. I, I hope, I wish, it's my desire that we would have an accurate understanding of who we were before we met God, who we are in Christ. And yet some of those vestiges of our sinfulness remain. 
We fight that all the time. That's why Paul in Romans talks about, I do the things I don't want to do and the things I don't want to do, I do. Does any, is that anyone's reality? Right? What does Paul say at the end of that section? He says, who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to Christ. And see, this is, a, this is an ongoing battle for us to recognize the realities of who we are. So how do we do this? Let's turn to Mark chapter six. Ever since March, here's a shameless plug. Ever since March at 7 a.m. on most weekday mornings, Mondays, it's at eight. We've been going through, we went through Psalms beginning back in March. And now we're going through the gospel of Mark on our church Facebook page. And this week we read through Mark chapter six. And as soon as I read this text, I knew what I was gonna talk about for this portion of our message today. This is Mark six, one to six. Jesus left that part of the country and returned with his disciples to Nazareth, his hometown. The next Sabbath, Jesus began teaching in the synagogue and many who heard him were amazed. They asked, where did he get all this wisdom and the power to perform such miracles? Then they scoffed. He's just a carpenter, the son of Mary and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon. And his sisters lived right here among us. They were deeply offended and refused to believe in him. Then Jesus told them a prophet's honored everywhere except in his own, own hometown and among his relatives and among his own family. And because of their unbelief, he couldn't do any miracles among them except to place his hands on a few sick people and heal them. And he was amazed at their unbelief. There are so many things in just these little six verses. And what strikes me the most and what struck me the most on Monday when we read through this is how these people thought they knew who Jesus was. They had Jesus pegged. They knew where he was from. They knew who his family was. And then what they did with that information was they completely disregarded him and they completely wrote him off. And what was the result of that? The text tells us because of their unbelief, he couldn't do any miracles among them except to place his hands on a few sick people to heal them. See, these are people who wrote Jesus off. And I wrote this statement. Jesus was unable to fulfill his mission and purpose because of the way people wrote Jesus off. It says he was unable to do things. And we think that Jesus is unable to do nothing. But there's something going on in this text. There's something going on in this story where his ability to carry out his mission and purpose was limited because of the way people interacted with him because of the way they disregarded him, because of the way they wrote him off. And here's a reality. When we live in spaces where we lack sympathy and empathy on other people, when winning becomes more important than our witness, we limit the effectiveness of God. When we write people off because of the sins they commit, or their party affiliation, 
or their choices they've made, we will limit the effectiveness of what God can do in their lives. Why? Because we're called to be salt and light. And if I disregard you, is it possible for me to be salt and light for someone that I've written off? How can I? How can I hope to engage in a conversation with someone that I've completely disregarded? Why would they want to talk to me? I want you to know that Jesus did nothing wrong here. He didn't do anything to earn their scorn. He didn't do anything to earn their scoffing. Jesus had nothing to repent of from this. And the question that we have to ask is how how do we interact with people who are different than us? Do they have something to repent of just because they voted differently than us? If they've sinned differently, certainly they need to work on that with God. They need to allow Jesus to forgive them of their sins. But that's not my job. Whenever I'm doing some sort of couples counseling with someone, I always say to one of the spouses or to the other, your job is not to be the Holy Spirit. That's the job of the Holy Spirit to be the Holy Spirit. You, to your spouse, don't, your, your job is to not point out all of their sin. To admonish them and to disciple them, absolutely. To love them, to be compassionate with them, of course. To proclaim truth to them, yes. But it's not my job and it's not your job to convict other people of their sin or of their of their wrongness. Because these are people that are made in God's image. And if we want to be faithful in telling people to come back to God, we have to love them. We have to care for them. This is how we demonstrate sympathy and empathy towards other people. We don't write them off. We don't discount them. But we enter into places where there are hard conversations And that can be really difficult. That's really challenging for us. Because the picture that has been painted for us, it's not not just the last three months. It's not just the four years, the last four years. John and I have been talking uh, yesterday. We spent some time in the car together. And I remember six presidents. And I've, I've heard this rhetoric over and over and over and over again. It is not possible for every election to be the most important election of your lifetime. It's not possible. It might be the most consequential election of your lifetime. It's not the most important. People who vote differently than me are not my enemy. Probably I just don't understand. So maybe what I could do is I could ask them a question. And I long for the day where as Christians, we can sit down with someone who disagree, with whom we disagree and just have a conversation. Have coffee. I've said this not a million times, maybe six 
There's very little that sitting down across the table with over a cup of coffee with someone for an hour that can't be resolved. That doesn't mean that we're going to flip or I'm going to believe what the other person believes or they're, or, or they're going to believe what I believe. But it means we can understand one another. We can love one another. And isn't that what we want to see? Aren't you tired of the noise? Aren't you tired of being told how wrong you are? Well, the other side is just as tired of hearing how wrong they are. We have such an opportunity to enter into this space with other people and not write people off. This is, this is the way of the Christian. Because there was a time where I was really caught up in politics. I thought it was the end all and be all. And that was before I knew Christ. And it's just not. I'm gonna read a couple more verses to you. This is, this is 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 4. This is our third path forward, our third way. Unknowing who we are, demonstrating sympathy and empathy for other people, and then prayer. I urge you, first of all, to pray for all people. Ask God to help them. Intercede on their behalf and give thanks for them. Pray this way for kings and all who are in authority so we can live lives, peace, we can live peaceful and quiet lives marked by godliness and dignity. This is good and pleases God, our Savior, who wants everyone to be saved and to understand the truth. I'm going to keep reading. For there's one God and one mediator who can reconcile God and humanity, the man, Jesus Christ. There's one man. There's one mediator. And he already won. There's one mediator. He gave his life to purchase freedom for everyone. This is the message God gave to the world at just the right time. There's so much in this text for us in our orientation of what God is doing and the way that God is working. How should we pray? I know this is simple because I know, I don't see any young children in here. I think all of you can read this text. This is one of those things where the Bible is so blatantly clear to us and how we are to respond to God and how we are to respond to the world around us. Pray for all people. Pray for all people. Ask God to help them intercede on their behalf and give thanks for them. Pray for all people. Pray for all people. Pray for all people. Ask God to help them. I wouldn't want to be president right now for lots of reasons. 
And I'm sure you wouldn't want to be present now either. And I kind of think as someone who is in leadership here at Westway Christian Church, based on what we have had to see, feel, hear, and experience over the last year, I'm not so sure that the people who wanted to be president really want to be president right now. With the challenges and struggles of reality, I love what I get to do, but there are so many things over the last eight months that have just been exhausting. Like, in the back of my mind, there have been moments where I thought I should just go do something else. To not have to figure out when are we going to meet? How are we going to meet? To not spend five nights a week from March through April being on Zoom every night for an hour and a half. Sounds like a great time. It was awful. So we want to pray because they need our help. God, and they, they don't need our help, actually. They need God's help. Pray for God to help them. Intercede on their behalf. Our leaders, if they are not believers, don't know what they need. That's why we talked about wisdom at the beginning of this. Intercede on their behalf. Pray for them. Ask God to give them what they need. And not only that, we should be praying for our leaders that they would surround themselves with wise people. Wouldn't that be amazing? To be surrounded by people who are wise in God's eyes and then give thanks for them. This week, have you given thanks for your leaders? Since the announcement was made yesterday morning, have you given thanks for, the pres for President-elect Joe Biden? I don't see an asterisk here. We want to give thanks for our leaders. We want to pray this way for kings and all who are in authority so we can live peaceful and quiet lives marked by God, my godliness and dignity. This is not about just leave us alone. This is about us having the ability to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. And when the world is settled and calm, it's simpler for us to do that, isn't it? It's easier for us to do that. This is the thing that says this is good and pleases God our Savior who wants everyone to be saved and understand the truth. I'm being really specific here. And I'm just reading the Bible. This is what it's telling us to do. I love verse five. There's one God and mediator who can reconcile God and humanity, the man, Jesus Christ. Oh, as Christians, if we would recognize and truly believe that we're true. I think we would feel the anxiety and the worry dissipate. I had someone come and talk, talk to me right before our time together today. Just talked about how the things that we've been talking about over the last six weeks have been so helpful in them in reorienting their mindset 
around the person that God is calling them to be. And I want you to have that same peace. I told our staff on Tuesday when I walked out, when I walked into the ballot area on Tuesday, I literally had no idea what I was going to do. And it wasn't because I hadn't thought about it. I literally had no clue what I was going to do on my ballot. And I prayed about it and I did what I did. It's none of your business. And I got to tell you, when I walked out of the Gearing Civic Center, I had zero anxiety. None. And it's not because I'm part robot. It just means because I already have a God and mediator who can reconcile myself and God. And he does not reside in Washington, D.C. I want so much for you to know that peace. And it only comes through God. If you saw, we began this with Hamilton six weeks ago. If you've seen Hamilton, you know that the king was kind of the comedic break throughout the play. And at certain points in the play, he would walk out on the stage and he would sing a song to the same tune every time. And one of my favorite phrases from every one of the king's songs is this. Oceans rise, empires fall. We've seen that throughout time. We've seen that throughout history. I talked about this last week. There will be a time, a thousand years from now, where our monuments to American greatness are going to be tourist attractions. Just like the Colosseum, just like the pyramids. The American empire is going to fall. And regardless of our of the name or the party affiliation of those in authority over us, we have the glorious responsibility, the glorious opportunity of loving other people in the same lavish way that God has loved us. He didn't do it because we were so great. He didn't come along like, oh, John's almost made it, so I'm gonna do this and I'm gonna push him over the edge of greatness. No, the text the Bible tells us that God did that while we were yet sinners. And we will change lives. God will change lives through us when we proclaim and demonstrate the truth in love. Let's pray together. God, we pray for our leaders we ask that you would help them. We want to intercede for them because they don't always know what they ought to pray for. Just like us, we don't know what we ought to pray for. So we want to intercede for our leaders. We want to give thanks for them. Regardless, God, regardless of all of the rhetoric, regardless of all of the things that we hear, 
on January 20th of 2021, there will be a tr peaceful transfer of power. And I am thankful that we live in a nation where that has been reality for a little less than 300 years. There's not open fighting in the streets. We live in a fantastic nation. And I'm thankful for that. God, we want, to, we want peaceful and quiet lives because this allows us opportunities to proclaim the truth about you. God, help us to be marked by godliness and dignity. When we do that, when we live lives in this way, it's good and it pleases you because it's your desire that everyone be saved and have knowledge of the truth. And it's in your son's name that we pray. Amen.